and welcome to this week's episode of A Photographic Life. This week we're going to be dealing with well-being, mental well-being. And I'm going to start off with some facts. The 2014 Survey of Mental Health and Wellbeing in England found that one in six people aged 16 plus had experienced symptoms of a common mental health problem such as depression or anxiety. Women were more likely than men to be experiencing common mental disorders. Prevalence has increased since 1993. 2% of survey responders had ever experienced bipolar disorder, while 0.7% had experienced psychotic disorder. 4.4% of respondents screened positive for post-traumatic stress disorder, and just over 5% of survey respondents reported having had suicidal thoughts in the past year. A 2022 survey of children and young people's mental health found that 18% of children aged 7 to 16 had a probable mental disorder in 2022, up from 12.1% in 2017. Among those aged 17 to 19, 10.1% had a probable mental disorder in 2017, rising to 25.7% in 2022. NHS England's Improving Access to Psychological Therapies programme aims to provide talking therapies for working-age people experiencing common mental health problems such as depression and anxiety. It aims to treat 75% of people within six weeks of referral to ensure that half of those finishing treatment recover from their condition. And it aims to reach 15% of people with common mental disorders each year. In 2021, uh, 2022, 1.8 million people in the UK were referred to this particular service. 1.24 million entered treatment and 688,000 finished a course of treatment. The number of referrals was a rise on the previous year. 1.41 million, and then in 2019, 20, 1.69 million. Now, let me start by saying that I am no expert on mental health or well-being. My comments in this episode are based on observations of lived experience, nothing more and nothing less. This podcast began with the idea of providing an arm around the shoulder, and that is why each episode ends with the suggestion to take care. Every week through COVID, I continue to post episodes, and since then I have observed the effects on an international pandemic, I should say, has had on our medium, industry, and the practitioners that are involved with both. Well-being is an issue for all of us. And over the last week, there's been a lot of conversation, a lot of raising awareness of the importance of well-being. 
I recognise that in a lot of the contributions over the years we've had to these podcasts from different photographers, that well-being has also been an issue. And many of the photographers have used photography as a means of expression, as a means of escape, as a means of finding a quiet place a place of reflection through the creation of the work, perhaps something that can be controlled and therefore give them a sense that in this very difficult world in which we live, they are doing something that means something to them. And I think that that is really the key to photography. Ensure that you are making work that means something to you, and that may mean something to somebody else. It may not, but if it doesn't, that doesn't matter. We as photographers, I believe, must be careful of not setting ourselves either unrealistic or unachievable expectations or base our practice and our work on the expectations of others. That is a classic scenario for for, uh, anxiety to occur, to develop and to grow. Now, In that survey, in those facts I was just given there, there was a very clear recognition of the difficulties that young people are currently having. And I know that in my conversation with students, I often hear that very thing, that they're listening to podcasts about well-being issues, that they're reading books about self-help. The problem is that they don't seem to be doing anything outside of that. They're not having fun. And for me, photography has to be fun. And the documentation of what we enjoy, our passions and our interests should also be fun. It should never be a chore. If we turn ourselves off from the world, from the things that are going on around us, popular cultural influences, if we're not engaged in subject matter outside of photography... How can we ever identify the very subject matter, the very areas, the stories we want to tell with our photography? Photography does not exist within itself and of itself. It is nothing more in my mind than a tool from which we can use to tell stories, as I say, to create work, to explore, to investigate, to create records. So, From my perspective, the key to this with photography is to ensure that you're not getting too hung up about photography. People often say to me, you know, you must love photography. It must be the centre of your universe. It absolutely isn't. And in fact, I'm not that interested in photography. Now, that may seem strange to a lot of you listening to this, but I say this a lot. I'm not interested in photography itself. What I am interested in are the people, the photographs, the people who make the photographs. I'm interested in the stories. I'm interested in the people in the photographs, the places, the spaces. In fact, I'm interested in everything except photography. 
This week, we welcome to the podcast Alessia Rollo, who is a visual artist born in 1982 in southern Italy, where she continues to live and work. After earning her undergraduate degree in visual communication at the University of Perugia, she completed a master's in creative photography at the EFTI in Spain in 2009. For Rollo, rather than explaining or documenting a situation, photography is a medium that permits myriad metaphors. In her project, she questions photography uh, as a tool of representation and deliberately mixes a documentary approach with a fictionary one. Her work focuses on the Mediterranean area to question relevant topics in mainstream storytelling and visual stereotypes while seeking to expand a sense of community through reappropriation of histories, memories and visual material. Her work has been exhibited in many international exhibitions in both solo and group shows. Let's listen to Alicia, shall we? Hello, everybody. I'm Alicia Rollo, recording today for United Nations of Photography. And I will try to reply to this very interesting question. What does photography mean to me? So I'm um, a visual artist from South Italy and uh, I have to say um, I never experienced photography when I was uh, a child or an adolescent because in my city uh, we didn't have a museum or nobody in my house take picture apart, family picture of course of holidays. So um, I think photography for me was a very late discovering. I started to take pictures when I was 23 in Dublin. And, uh, but in a way, I think uh, I was always surrounded by images. Uh, first of all, because uh, um, for my Catholic education, I think uh, uh, we went often to church. So I think uh, this influenced a lot my imagination and my way to build the images. And um, as well, because uh, the way we speak in South Italy is very metaphoric and uh, figurative. So I think uh, I started to think uh, in images since I was a child. And uh, I discovered that photography for me is a way to understand reality, to assume uh, topics I are not agree with, or I want to and I need to re-elaborate uh, in another way. So uh, for me, uh, photography is, is a language, basically. It's my way. I... Um, it's the way I uh, give back to to the world uh, a piece of my mind. It's uh, a way I think I can connect myself uh, with uh, reality, with uh, human beings. And in a way, I try to feel myself better on, on this planet. And uh, as well, I think for me, photography means uh, a therapy. I think uh, I can uh, understand much better myself. I can um, understand topics that are important for me. I can grow up through what I do, people I met. Um, and basically, I think it helped a lot. Uh, 
myself and the people around me to uh, create uh, new links uh, and uh, um, elaborate uh, the reality and uh, to contagious uh, ourselves as uh, as well with something that is, is positive because uh, for me photography as well it's uh, it's a message so i think uh, during uh, the decade the decades i work with photography i tried more and more to understand uh, uh, and to work on positive messages uh, or to work or with the negative uh, aspect of reality that I like to try to to change it a bit or to give uh, another point of view on uh, on these topics so that's basically all or maybe not i think there is really much more but i think it's uh, it's enough for for one day thinking about this question and um, i hope you like it and uh, you get inspired by by this content goodbye thank you alessia for your contribution which yes i think was inspiring and very positive and addressed so many of the issues concerning well-being that i was trying to uh, express myself at the beginning of this episode my good friend pete silverton has died but why should that be of any interest to you well let me tell you why I first met Pete 23 years ago. He was one of the best writers and most interesting people I'd ever met. We never worked together, but we stayed friends. And when I was made editor of Professional Photographer magazine, I saw an opportunity to commission Pete. That commission was to write pen portraits of iconic photographers. Each month I would suggest someone and a week or so later, a piece of beautifully written, immaculately researched text would be delivered. I also sent him to be photographed by Rankin and to report back. He did. I sent him into the photographer's bear pit at the end of the catwalk at London Fashion Week and he survived. His articles and columns were funny, informative and insightful. They were everything Pete was. When Café Royal Books published my body of work titled Crash Happy, A Night at the Bangers, Pete supplied the text. Again, in just a few words, he said everything that needed to be said and implied everything else. When I launched Hungry Eye magazine, I took Pete and his writing with me, and when I founded the United Nations of Photography, I began to post those archive articles there. Just put the words Pete Silverton into the search bar to find them and further examples of Pete's writing on photography. Pete has gone, but his writing is still with us. The stories he told remain with me. I am honoured to be able to share just some of them with you. But first, before I do read what I consider to be one of the finest pieces of writing on photography, not just that he supplied to us, but that I've ever read, I'm going to give you a quick background to Pete. So Pete was a journalist for over 40 years. He started as features editor at Sounds in 1976 and covered punk. He went on the anarchy tour bus, tour bus, I should say, with the Pistols and Clash and later wrote Glenn Matlock's autobiography, I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol. And he also wrote Essential Elvis. Silverton also worked as an editor at Time Out, the Mail on Sunday, the Sunday Express, Mojo and The Guardian. 
And he also ridden for practically every music mag and newspaper in the land. His book, Filthy English, The How, Why, When and What of Everyday Swearing, was published in 2010. Pete had been suffering from a brain tumour for the last two and a half years, but that didn't stop him compiling playlists of music, but also writing a last book. He told me that he'd written some extracts that had some connections with photography, and would I be happy to publish them or read them and give him some feedback? Well, I read them and they were beautiful, and I did publish them. This is one of those pieces of writing. By 1979, New York was every bit the city you see in German photographer, artist Thomas Struth's 1970s photographs of Lower Manhattan. Empty streets, or rather emptied streets, decorated with those rats dreamed of garbage. The best known of Struth's pictures is of Crosby Street, in time, this small thoroughfare on Block East of Broadway in Lower Manhattan would become a sought-after address for artists, bankers and crackheads, though not in that alphabetical order. But in 1978, the year the picture was taken, the street's tall industrial buildings with their brick, pale stone banding and webbings of wrought iron fire escapery had become lost versions of their own early 20th century selves. In Struth's photograph, they have been corroded by a kind of architectural Alzheimer's, forgetting not just their past, but their memory of that past. There is a single car in the picture, a Dodge sedan, perhaps lonely. The roadway is carpeted with slush. The paving looks like an esplanade after a storm's giant waves have covered it with seaweed, then retreated to their Neptunian home. Even the street signs are crooked. They gave up long ago. A theatre of lost dreams, maybe self-consciously too, in the photographer's viewfinder. There is lyricism in Struth's vision, yet there was reality behind his poetic projections. There are, as an old TV crime show had it, eight million stories in the Naked City. I'll pick just one of those stories because, well, because it happened in 1979, just around the corner from Struth's picture on Prince Street, which crosses Crosby Street and just a few months before Sinatra recorded New York, New York. On May 25th, 1979, six-year-old Ethan Patz, who lived with his parents in comfortable Bohemia, went missing. All too soon, he became a symbol for metropolitan decline and anomie. If a child can just disappear like that in the daylight hours, well... His face appeared on missing child milk cartons and Times Square billboards. May 25th became National Missing Children Day. As for example, the Dreyfus Affair was a touchstone for turn-of-the-century Paris. So, in a very different way, Etan's story was for late 1970s New York. What the two stories have in common is this. Each city looked itself in the face and found... It didn't much like what it saw. That, to me, is photography writing and writing about photography. 
and writing. Take care and rest in power, Pete. Thank you.